This is also about giving, or rather Paul encouraging the Corinthians who are well off to give. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with confidence, such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when our obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we are dare, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are condemning themselves. But when we measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labours of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends.
may God add his understanding to our understanding of this word. Thanks, Francis. I'm going to pray. Join with me as uh, we focus our thoughts. Father, uh, help us in this time. Uh, Father, uh, having disagreements is emotional and draining and uh, it, it is not nice, Father. Help us to learn from you in this time. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. So, folk, I'm going to ask you, just like I asked our boys and girls, how do you have a fight with someone? You know, when you're being attacked, uh, when they're making statements about you which simply aren't true, how do you defend yourself? Some folk, they do, they throw a tantrum. Some throw punches. Some get loud and shout. Some call you names and then walk off in a huff. Some just leave, never to be seen again. How do you have a dispute when you don't get your way or when you need to defend yourself. And then what do you do, actually, what do you do if they happen to be correct? Do you apologise? You know, there are times when we do need to take the log out of our eye first so that we can see clearly. Maybe you need to be a bit self-controlled. Maybe you actually do need to do a bit of self-examination, re-evaluate, I stumbled over that, didn't I? Re-evaluate what you've said and what you've done. But the question still is, how do you have a fight with someone? Paul, he's being attacked. Uh, we've already seen this a number of times in 2 Corinthians. Paul's being accused of, well, he's worldly. He's inconsistent. Uh, we saw it back in chapters 1 and 2. Paul said he'd visit, but then he didn't visit. And so they say, Paul's unreliable. Don't get Paul to do anything. You can't trust him. Can't trust that he'll do what he says. But we saw that Paul was trying to care for the Corinthians. He didn't want to make another painful visit. And they misunderstood Paul's actions and jumped to the wrong conclusions. And they're doing the same thing here in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 10. In fact, you'll see the accusation made twice in this chapter. Paul's being accused again of being inconsistent, of saying one thing and doing another. Paul's weak and unimpressive when he's face to face with you. But when he doesn't have to face you, he roars like a lion. He says all sorts of things in his letters which he doesn't say when he's with you. And that's taken as being, well, unspiritual, unchristian. That's worldly. When what is actually happening is that Paul's accusers are being worldly. See, back then, great leaders were great public speakers. You know, they were witty, they were funny, they were even a little poetic. And they were using those worldly techniques to, dare I say, outspeak Paul, to put Paul down to take some things and highlight them as being, well, he's inconsistent. You can't trust this guy at all. Now remember, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth because church life, well, it is actually complex and messy and it can be hurtful. Paul seems to have been a bit unreliable and inconsistent and the false teachers, they're calling the Corinthians to turn away from Paul, to turn really to a different gospel. Second Corinthians is really dealing with a church dispute and that's sad. It is sad when churches have fights. And so Paul writes to Corinthians to remind them of the gospel and to plead with them to be faithful to the gospel and to their partnership with him in the gospel. Paul's faithful to the gospel and instead of being ashamed of weakness and suffering, Paul wants them to see how in the gospel they can find joy in weakness and even strength in God, but not in themselves. And so we're really left with the question, how does Paul fight against his attackers? Paul's response is to call everyone back to the gospel. The gospel which Paul's already explained to them, that message which is summed up in just four words. Remember, Josh pointed them out to us. Jesus Christ is Lord. And here in chapter 10, Paul goes back to the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. Paul's approach is to be meek and gentle and firm when dealing with the truth. Why don't you open your Bibles? Why don't you have a look at this? Follow along with me here. And notice, Paul is begging the Corinthians at this point. 
I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Paul doesn't want to show boldness. This is not like, uh, sorry, this is like not wanting to have another painful visit. Paul's trying to show love to these folk, consideration to them. His heart feels for these folk. And again, that's actually taken as being inconsistent. And they're saying, Paul's pathetic when he's face to face with you, but then harsh when he writes letters. And so Paul's accused of, well, he's unspiritual, he's fleshly, he's worldly, he's of two minds. And Paul says, look, I'm not being worldly, I'm being meek and humble. I'm trying to lead you in the way in which you should go. I'm pleading with you to live like Jesus. Now, I'm not going to say that we should, uh, uh, that we should be careful here. Do not confuse meekness with weakness. Meek is not weak. And Paul's going to have words with some of their number. He is going to do that. He says so. Perhaps a bit like Jesus had words with the Pharisees. And we need to accept that hard words are not always unloving. Especially if they're not shouted at you. But what do you do when the hard words come? Do you shout back? I want you to notice two things in verses 3 through to 6. First, Paul says, look, he can't escape this world. Yes, he has a body of flesh. And he's kind of making a bit of a pun on that. This is normal human existence. But also notice that Paul does say... Strong words to them in this letter. They are right about Paul being bold in his letters. Paul uses the language of war with its weapons and strongholds here. You never want to see a church at war. And so you get a sense that Paul's going to, well, demolish the nonsense that they're going on with. But notice that Paul isn't waging war by using human resources, the way in which we normally wage war. Paul's not going to defend himself with the same witty oratory that his opponents are using. Paul is calling everyone back to the gospel and living gospel lives. 
And so Paul says, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Well, what are these weapons then? Verse 5, the weapons aren't witty oratory or passive-aggressive humour or name-calling. The weapons aren't throwing a tanty. And no, they're not walking away and never returning either. Nor are they character assassinations via email, texts or Twitter. And that's the sort of stuff that the world does. These divine weapons are the truth of the gospel. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ is a reminder of the victory procession Paul's already talked about back in chapters 2 through to 4. To pull down the barriers people throw up when they're fighting, Paul uses the truth of the gospel to expose their falsehood. Paul may be weak, but the gospel is the power of God. Paul's opponents can say whatever they like about Paul, really, but the gospel will expose the falsehood of Paul's opponents. And the gospel also brings its own judgment. Yes, there's forgiveness for those who submit to Jesus Christ as Lord, but there's also judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ as Lord. And notice, while Paul's making this statement about the gospel, but he's actually not making any personal attacks here. Though I am going to say it's hard, isn't it? We know this. It's hard to separate a person's belief from the people themselves. Our beliefs are very personal. There's an accusation which goes around every now and again. It goes something like this. How can they be Christian if that's what they say or that's what they do? And when you stop and think about that accusation, it actually has a flavour of, I'm better than them. How could they be Christian? I'm better than them. And Paul's opponents seem to be making that accusation. They're Christian, but Paul's not Christian. I mean, this is really bad, and Paul gets that out of the way very fast. Look at verse 7. The fact is, Paul's meekness and gentleness comes from Jesus, and so does Paul's authority. 
Jesus commissioned Paul along the road to Damascus. And so Paul demolishes their attack by reminding them of the truth of how the gospel came to Paul. Look at what is before you, your very eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Because of the gospel, we're supposed to think of others as better than ourselves. And Paul's already stressed that, well, he doesn't preach himself. It was back in chapter 4. Paul preaches Christ Jesus as Lord. And Paul preaches himself as your servant for Jesus' sake. As their servant. Paul's using what Jesus has given to him to build them up in their faith. And Paul won't back away from that. Look, now that Paul's actually established we're on equal footing here, we're all Christians, Paul goes on to address the accusation of his inconsistency. The accusation which he sort of points at in verse 1. They say, Paul's humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when he's away. And so in verses 9 through to 11, Paul assures them that what he says in his letters, he'll actually do when he meets them. That's if he needs to, if they don't take note of his letters. Verse 9. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. Verse 10. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Verse 11. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Look, Paul's not trying to bully them. Paul's just saying, what you see is what you get. Paul's saying, I don't threaten. What I do, I say. And what I say, I do. And more than that, verse 12, Paul says, look, I'm not going to get into the comparison game. You know, who prays the best prayers? Who tells the best Christian jokes? Who reads the most Christian books? Paul says, all this is really just stupid. That's not Christian servanthood, nor is it Christian leadership. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. 
And look, just to prove I'm as good as they are, I'm going to use a bit of witty poetry here. Paul's opponents seem to be singing Tina Turner's song. They say, we're simply the best. Better than the, well, the Apostle Paul. You know, there are some times when I wish I was like Martin Lloyd-Jones or Spurgeon or Andrew Murray or Don Carson or Joshua Rowe. Actually, no, I don't. And neither should you think that way. I mean, think about this. It's the Lord who gives gifts to his people. As we're told in 1 Corinthians 12, if the whole body were an eye, if the whole body were a Martin Lloyd-Jones, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So, so it's just plain ridiculous and even insulting to God to make these sorts of comparisons. In fact, when we do this, we're actually showing our pride. Or perhaps worse, we're showing our self-pity. I'm not like Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's actually quite sad, isn't it? That I'm not thankful for what God has given to me. Instead, we should acknowledge what the Lord has or has not given to us and be thankful for that. And if we're going to boast about anything, then we should boast about our Lord and Saviour. We need to keep this perspective. Let's not get big heads. Let's not be proud. Paul focuses on the service that the Lord has given to him to perform. And he says we should all focus on the service the Lord has given to us. An elder out at Miles, Doug Walker, he, uh, he tells me every now and again about the witty principle. It comes from the end of John chapter 20. And there Peter is looking at another disciple and um, asks Jesus, well, what about this one? And Jesus' response to him is, what is that to you? Witty. What is that to you? He's my servant. I'll sort that out. That's not your bother. The Lord met Saul on the road to Damascus and he gave to Saul instructions about what he was to do. And this changed Saul's life. Saul became Paul. And the instructions were that Saul was to be the Lord's chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul was to proclaim Jesus is Lord to the Gentiles, and that included the Corinthians. And that's what Paul boasts about in verses 13 through to 17. Paul doesn't go beyond the limits that the Lord has put on him. Verse 13. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. And Paul reminds the Corinthians that he was the first to come and preach Jesus is Lord to them. And the Corinthians believed because of Paul's preaching and not only believed, but their faith grew. Which Paul says actually frees him up to go to other lands to preach the gospel there too. Paul doesn't want to be a sheep stealer, you see. He's not going to lay claim to other converts. Which seems to be what Paul's opponents are doing. Instead of boasting in another's work, one should boast only in the Lord. Which is what Paul finally says in verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In disputes, well, disputes shouldn't be about me, nor should they be about you. Don't be proud. Don't be self-pitying. Don't compare yourself to others and don't lay claim to the work of others. Don't sheep steal. What we're to do is to get on with the task our Lord has given us, with the tools that our Lord has given to us. Even if those tools make us look weak, they will show the power of God. And we can take joy in that, can't we? And as we get on with our own task, then we can be confident that the Lord himself will commend us which is where Paul finishes this section in verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So, what do you reckon? How do you respond when you can't get your own way in church? What do you do when attacked or called to account? Your first response should be to go to the gospel. Be as meek and gentle and firm as Jesus. Don't accept evil. But don't spit the dummy either. Don't wage war like the world does. Go back to the truth of the gospel. Examine yourself and your beliefs by the gospel. It, it just might be that you've got some 
something wrong, some wrong teaching that you've got to unlearn. It just might be. Acknowledge that we're all Christian and try to bring glory to our Lord and bring your life in line with the gospel, your life in line with the gospel, not the other person's. Focus on the gospel. Don't compare the other person to others. Really don't focus on them. Seek to build up the other person in Christ, using the truth of the gospel to take away their false strongholds so they can be better Christians. Look, I know this gospel approach to disputes isn't always worked through in churches. But I also know that when it's done, often one party just walks away. It's even happened here at St John's. You know, sometimes I think that maybe we wouldn't have the Mormon sect if only Joseph Smith stayed with his church. I think the same thing sometimes about the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, I actually believe that they'd be less hurt in churches if people stayed and worked through the hurt instead of waving goodbye and taking their hurt with them. We just seem to walk away too quickly. So what are you going to do next time you have a disagreement with someone at church? My prayer is that you'll turn to the gospel. Let me pray. Father, we do get hurt. There is so much that is wrong in this world and there are times when we too are wrong. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we have hurt others. Help us, Father, to be forgiving as well. Father, for all the hurts that we've experienced in church, we pray for your healing. As Paul said at the beginning of Corinthians, be for each of us the God of all comfort. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.